Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. So this week, we will be talking about Sticks and Stones, Season 2, Episode 10, first aired December 15th, 1985. And the IMDb summary reads, Cabot Cove is flooded with poison pen letters, which proves hard for the town to handle as Amos prepares to hand the reins over to a new sheriff. Now, as I have said before, this is one of my faves. So let's get into the characters and get right into the story. We have a returner, John Aston as Harry Pierce. This is John Aston's last appearance, which is sad, but it is also Harry Pierce's last appearance. So yay to that, because I don't like Harry Pierce. So there you go. <laughs> and I believe he is the only returner who's not a permanent cast member. Then we have Friedrich Hoffman, who is a tenant of Elvira's. We have, of course, Sheriff Tupper. We have George Knapp who is part of the Condo 3. We have Larry Burns, who is a repairman. We have Elvira Tree, who owns a home and rents her downstairs to Friedrich Hoffman, who is, a, I believe, a movie director. Then we have Edna, who is uh, a town gossip, I guess. I, yeah, she's important to the story, but she doesn't have a last name, so... Uh, there you go. Then we have Niles Anderson, who's a fisherman. We have Lila Norris, who is part of the Condo 3. We have Michael Digby, who's a travel writer. Adam Frobisher, who is the boyfriend of Beverly Gareth. We have, of course, Dr. Hazlitt. We have Bart Nelson, the final of the Condo 3. We have Deputy Willard, and then we have Beverly Gareth. So let's get right into this episode. So we start off in a bathroom. There's a woman getting into the tub, and you can hear that she is watching a soap opera. So you see the TV, and you hear the dialogue, which is super dramatic. It seems like it's a telenovela, except in English. <laughs> it's like, Raul, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it's like, oh, Caramilla. <laughs> but you married him and had three children with him. It's like, I know, but I love you. <laughs> they were doing the most. But that's the best kind of soap opera, right? So as she's in the tub... A, a bubble bath. So I'm like, yes, girl, get a bubble bath in the middle of the day. Okay, do you? And then the TV cuts off. So she's like, Larry Burns, like, he can't even fix this stupid TV for $50. I'm like, okay, it's 1985. So $50 actually is a lot. So, well, it's kind of a lot today too, but to fix a TV, that's nothing. But Okay, it's 1985, so that maybe that's like $200 for a repairman to fix something on your TV today. Okay. So she gets up, she starts turning the knobs, and when that doesn't work, she goes, she grabs hold of the plug, 
in the wall and suddenly the electricity comes back on and she's electrocuted. Now, they show that she falls into the tub. In the next scene, we get a view of her entire bathroom, right? How in the world was she electrocuted and then she had to taken at least three steps back in order to fall into the tub. So I'm like, uh, okay, that's what we're going with. That's what we're going with. So the next scene, we have Amos and Harry Pierce. So Amos is retiring, right? And Harry Pierce is now taking over for him. And I believe, yes, the sheriff is an elected position in Cabot Cove. So Amos must have put in his notice and I guess they had an election to elect Harry Pierce as the new sheriff because there's no talk of this. So this is just me putting two and two together because yeah, unless the mayor appointed him, but then there would need to be an election, there would eventually need to be an election. So did they, I don't know, but now Harry is going to be the sheriff. So however they work that out, that is the plan. And Harry's supposed to take over tomorrow. So on Amos's last day as sheriff, okay, he's about to just retire and enjoy his life, right? This woman goes and dies. <laughs> this is clearly an accidental death. Um, not even Jessica Fletcher can make a murder out of this. <laughs> oh, Amos, you know better than that. <laughs> she can turn anything into a murder. So Amos is looking around the bathroom and he sees the frayed cord and it is split and frayed. I don't... Okay, listen. I have no idea who in their right mind would have plugged that TV in. Okay? Now, let's assume that she keeps the TV plugged in in the bathroom, that she just lives that type of life, that she has an extra TV that she can just leave in the bathroom as opposed to back in the day well, in the 90s for me, we had a like 13 inch, <laughs> was it even 13 inch? I don't even know if it was that big, but the portable TV, right? And we will move it from the kitchen or if you were somewhere else that didn't have a TV, you can move it there, right? So I'm wondering if this was just her bathroom TV and she just lived that type of life. If so, I could understand her not noticing that. Because she wouldn't have, it, it's just always plugged in. Like my, uh, like my space heater in the winter, it is always plugged in. So I'm not messing around with the cord. I wouldn't have noticed that much damage. But if she moves this TV into the bathroom every time she takes a bubble bath and has it somewhere else at, during the other times, then no person in their right mind would have plugged that in. She would have taken that back to Larry Burns to fix because that cord was just outrageous. Harry says that he saw that frayed cord a month ago 
when he was going through to, I guess, prepare the house for sale. And Amos was like, oh, Beverly was selling the house? To which Harry says, oh, she's always selling the place but never did. Wasted a lot of my time. So I'm like, why would you keep working with her? We find out soon enough. But why would you keep doing that? Like, I understand that you're probably the only realtor in Cabot Cove. But if she keeps, you know, yanking your chain, like, leave her be. Be like, well, you got to find somebody else because you you keep saying you're going to sell this place and then you don't. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to work with you anymore. Now, I have a few questions before we go on to the next scene. How did they find out that she died? Because Beverly lives alone, right? How did they find out that she was dead? You know what I mean? Like, this was, she was still in the tub. And it does not seem like it was a long time. It seems like it was the same day. So, and two, how did they get into the bathroom? Now, okay, I will tell you a secret. Like, well, this isn't a secret. I live alone. But I don't lock my bathroom door because I live alone. So perhaps she did not lock the bathroom door because she lives alone. But I'm like, most people do (laughs) just out of habit, right? So how did they get into the bathroom? Assuming that she locked the door. I'm very confused. Now, we find out later that her and Adam Fobisher, that's the last time I'm going to say that name. That one is rough. Um, That they're an item. So perhaps Adam found her, but we don't see Adam on the scene. One. Two, they don't talk to Adam in this first part of this to find out, like, when was the last time you saw her? No questions right? No questions to Adam at this point. So how, who alerted them that she was dead? They never address this. They never address how they found out that she had died. Interesting. And a little frustrating, actually. I'd like to know this. So the next scene we're at Jessica's house. She's on the phone with Edna. And Amos, in is it, <laughs> who is wearing a three-piece suit, although his suit jacket is on the back of the chair, has a straight-up vest and matching pants and a button-down shirt. And he is trying to fix Jessica's toaster, which is very difficult, apparently. It's always breaking. Now, <laughs> so Edna's talking and then... Seth is like, what is she rattling on about? To which Edna hears this, or at least hears a second voice. And it's like, oh, is someone there at your house? And Jessica's like, yeah, it's Seth. He's fixing my toaster. And Seth was like, I'd be done, but I didn't know I was working on an antique. (laughs) He is so grumpy, but I love it. So then the doorbell rings. And Jessica's like, oh, there's someone at the door. I have to get off the phone. Okay, bye. (laughs) Seth is like, you should really talk to her about donating her vocal cords to, did he say science or something like that? (laughs) Terrible. So Jessica goes to the door 
and this young man, Michael Digby, introduces himself and then walks into her house. Like, sir, that's rude. I, I'm not even sorry about that. That is just rude. Because even if she was expecting you, she did not invite you in. He literally walked past her into the house and was like, oh, this is great, like classic New England and all, all of this. And she's like, who are you? <laughs> She has no clue. Eventually, she remembers that her publisher had said that there was a travel writer who wanted to do a story on Cabot Cove. And um, she's like, oh, but he said that in passing like a while ago. And Michael is like, oh, so you knew. Okay, great. I'm not imposing. Sir, that's not how that works. That's not how that works, okay? And you're staying at her house. Like, that was the plan, that you're staying at her house. You did not call her when you left New York. You did not follow up with the publisher. Like, the publisher didn't call her. But actually, no. I'm not even going to put this on the publisher. You made plans to come up on X date. You did not call Jessica to confirm. It's not like you said, oh, yeah, I left a message on your voicemail two weeks ago. No. Okay. You just showed up and walked in this lady's house with a suitcase because you were planning to stay there. You didn't even call ahead to make sure she had food, that her house hadn't burnt down, that things were still on, that she knew what date you were going to be there. What if she had a a family emergency? What if family was in town or something like you just chose a date because her publisher didn't specify a date, was just like, so he, he wants to do this, so this is going to happen at some point in life. So she has no idea that you're coming. And yeah, I don't like that. Like, I am fine with Michael, the character. Like, he, he grows on me. But looking back, this was super rude. I, Jessica is very nice, because I would have been like, I know you're not planning to stay here, that you didn't have the decency to call and have a conversation with me when you're planning to stay at my house and do an interview of me and have me show you around Cabot Cove, but you couldn't pick up the phone and get my number from the publisher? Who has it? Or even send me a letter? Nothing? Oh, no. You can't stay here. I'm not doing your story. Sir, leave. Okay? (laughs) She is nicer than me because he would have had to go. You don't just walk up in my house and be like, oh, your published, our joint publisher said something in passing months ago and that is supposed to be a binding contract. No, sir. No, ma'am. No. Anyway, so, so he is just fascinated by everything in here and by Seth, who's like, who's this? And, um... That's when Jessica remembers that he was the travel writer. And so Seth is like, oh, you're from the big city, aren't you? Now, I thought he meant Boston, but he meant New York. And so Michael's like, yes, I am. He's like, mm, thought so. And so he leaves. And Michael's like, that's what I would call a crusty New Englander. And I'm like, no, you just walked up in this lady's house, honestly uninvited. Okay, and you're talking about how, like, quaint and all of this her house is, and she's just like, (laughs) calm down, sir. Have you never been outside of New York City? (laughs) 
Have you never been to anyone's house other than someone who's into, you know, mid-century modern or something? So Michael's like, oh, yes, I'm going to be writing about it. I wrote about some other towns and now, you know, all of this has happened. Industry has come in. And Jessica's like, what about the heart of the town? And I think he said, oh, they're putting in a strip mall. And she's like thinking to herself, yeah, no, that's not what I meant. And that's definitely not what I want to happen to Cabot Cove. It's bad enough that they approve these condos. So yeah, I don't know about this. And so she she still is too polite to kick him out. So she kind of rolls with it. So the next scene, Jessica is, I'm guessing this is my, this may be the next morning. She's on her bike going into town and Amos pulls up and apparently this is a new car. Well, new to him. So I'm like, good for you, Amos. Yes. So he probably was driving the sheriff's vehicle exclusively (laughs) because remember murder takes the bus. And I was asking like, why wouldn't he just use his personal car and just charge Cabot Cove board or whatnot, the town or whatnot for his gas going to the sheriff's convention because he was going in his capacity as sheriff. And now I figured it out because he did not have a personal car. (laughs) He was using the sheriff's vehicle as his vehicle. So now he is no longer a sheriff because this is the next day. So Harry is officially sheriff. So he had to purchase his own car. So now it makes sense why they ended up having to take the bus as opposed to Amos taking his personal vehicle. So they're talking and Jessica's like, yeah, you know, it's hard to have confidence that a real estate agent is your new sheriff. And Amos says, well, you know, when I took over, I didn't know much. But now going back to... Murder takes the bus. Now, I didn't know that we would have two references in this scene. I didn't realize that. But going back to Murder Takes the Bus, he said that he was a bus driver for one summer before he went into the police academy. That's what he said. Like so <laughs> So at the very least, I will I will say that. Maybe what he meant was, I, although I had police training, I did not know how to be a sheriff in Cabot Cove. You know, being a police officer versus being the sheriff is very different. So I'm going to take it as that, that both of these things can be true, that he did go through the police academy And that when he took over as sheriff, which would make sense that they would elect him as sheriff if he had law enforcement background. And I'm guessing nobody else in this town does. (laughs) We're going to talk about that at the end, how they have a real estate agent as their sheriff. As opposed to, well, actually, no, we'll talk about it now. Why wouldn't you promote one of your deputy sheriffs, apparently Deputy Willard is the only one at this point, why wouldn't you promote him or Noah Wiley, remember him from A Lady in the Lake, 
why wouldn't you just promote one of your deputy sheriffs to sheriff as opposed to, because clearly they have at least some level of law enforcement experience, as opposed to the real estate agent. Now, I could understand if their sheriff was just a political position, right? But in Cabot Cove, the sheriff actually does law enforcement work. So he's not just administrative. He's not just an administrator. It's not just the title where he has others who are actually out on the street. The sheriff actually is a practicing law enforcement officer. So why would you elect someone with no law enforcement experience when you have deputy sheriffs who have law enforcement experience. It makes no sense to me. I do not understand. And there, well, I I won't, well, okay, let's go there. (laughs) And that's why this didn't work out. Because if you have somebody who does not have law enforcement experience and your town experiences murders regularly, You need somebody who understands how to investigate said murder because what ends up happening, maybe they thought, hey, we have Jessica Fletcher. We don't need someone with actual law enforcement experience. Jessica will just help him out. Is that what they were thinking? Maybe that's what they were thinking. That's terrible. (laughs) Terrible, irresponsible, and dangerous. What if she is visiting one of her 511 nieces or nephews or cousins or, you know, friends that she's made in lifetimes or sorority sisters or, you know, former loves of her life or whatnot that they don't exist, but you know what I mean? The guys who were trying to hook up with Jessica, but she was like, nah, I'm with Frank. What if she's on vacation? We've had that happen and it didn't go so well, but it could have been worse if at the time... The sheriff had no law enforcement experience. Thankfully, he did have some, even though (laughs) Jessica solved the murder from across the pond. We'll get to that episode. That's a trash episode, I'll tell you that much. But But I think that that is the only reason that they put Harry Pierce in, right? Because three things. One... He is a friend of Jessica, right? We find out how close they are or were at the end of this episode. Two, Jessica can solve murders as well as other crimes. So since they're friends, she would be willing to help him out in these types of situations. And three... This allowed them to make a political selection as opposed to finding someone with law enforcement experience because, okay, Jessica will handle it. She'll pick up the slack where the deputy sheriffs can't, right? So the figurehead doesn't have to actually do this. He just has to do form and fashion and listen to Jessica. I think that's what happened. If that's not what happened... Oh, well, because that's what happened in my version of this review. (laughs) Anyway, so the next scene, 
Jessica is taking Michael around the town to, you know, give him some history, show him the town and help him with his story or article or book. I think it's going to be a book. And as they're talking about the history of Cabot Cove, we see Mabel and I don't get the guy's name. Like they don't say who the male neighbor is, but the, so the mailman is delivering and he says hi to Jessica. She says hi to him because this is that type of neighborhood, right? And so he hands the mail to Mabel and he hands the mail to her neighbor who's also outside in his front garden. And they both open the letter there. So they both read the letter. It says something accusatory about the other. They start arguing and (laughs) Mabel's like, if your dog starts barking, I'm going to call the sheriff. And the guy is like, my dog can bark whenever it feels like barking. I don't care. Don't ever come over here looking for sugar or whatever he said. And they go running to find their spouse. <laughs> As they're walking, they walk out to this this cliff, this bluff. I, 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 They had a name for it. But there used to be a lighthouse out there. And Jessica is saying this used to be Coast Guard property. And there was a lighthouse, but once it burned down, you know, it reverted back to Wendell Gareth because a hundred years ago, I think she said, he gave a perpetual lease to the Coast Guard to use the land. But he died and it went to his daughter, Beverly, who kept that lease but then once the lighthouse burnt down, the lease ended and um, Beverly Gareth then sold the property and they got approved through the planning committee to build 400 condominiums. And so the condo three, as they call them, are the ones who are putting that together and making that happen. Now, side note, that never happens because there surely are never condos in Cabot Cove for the entirety of this series. So I have no idea what happened, okay? <laughs> this These plans got approved by the planning committee. So this was going to happen. So I don't understand why it didn't happen. And we do see that there are other episodes where corporations try to come in to build in Cabot Cove as well. So yeah, yeah. At least one of the condo three, Bart Nelson, he owns a restaurant in Cabot Cove. Now, I don't know about the other two. They're clearly on the planning committee. So they are Cabot Cove residents, I'm guessing, at least Bart Nelson is. I don't know about Lila or George if they are Cabot Cove residents or not, or if they have property, but it appears that they're on the planning committee, that they have board positions within the town. So yeah, it's not like they're fly by night like some of these other things. So I don't understand why that never happened. I'm glad it never happened, but yeah, they kind of just drop this. <laughs> like it never happened. So as they're talking, as Jessica and Michael are talking on this beautiful cliffside, 
Edna comes screeching up in her car, hops out, goes stomping over to Jessica, hits her with her purse, and says, stay away from my husband, Jessica Fletcher. He's, he's not much, but he's all that I've got. And then she storms off. Jessica's like, Edna? Uh, Edna? Like, what happened? <laughs> and Jessica's hair is kind of messed up, too. <laughs> now, listen. Listen. One, how did Edna find Jessica? That's what I'm saying. Like, how did she find Jessica? Now, that means that she was probably driving through town, went to Jessica's house, knocked on the door, didn't get an answer, right? Then went into town and asked some people. And it's like, oh, well, she was walking down, heading towards that way. And that's why she headed that way. But you were mad enough to have to take all those steps to find her and still had a a purse swing ready for her. She was like, I'm not losing this man. He a piece of man and I'm going to keep this piece of man. <laughs> oh man, she was quick with that purse to keep her man. And just was like, what? Now, not for nothing, right? Jessica is not that type of person. She ain't out here stealing husbands. But I could see how it would be believable in the sense that Edna's husband would want to have a relationship with Jessica. Now, Jessica is super successful. She is a beautiful woman, a woman of a certain age. She's well put together. She's down to earth. She has a great personality. Apparently, she's an amazing cook and baker. Like, she is a real catch. So I could see how Edna would believe. Now, now you knew your husband a lot longer than you knew Jessica, so you should have known better. And she does come, Edna does come to her senses about it. But I can understand, you get that letter and you're like, I knew she was a hussy. <laughs> she out here just being amazing, living her best life, just single, just flaunting that in every husband's face. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I I could understand how someone could get that letter and automatically believe it. Not because they think that Jessica is that type of person, but because Jessica has all of these great qualities that they could see that their husband may be attracted to a woman like that. And since she's single, you know, whatever's whatever. So yeah. I was like, okay, I see you, Edna. I I can't even be mad that she hit her with her purse. Like, I could understand that. So, (laughs) anyway. So, the next scene, we are at Amos's house. He's on his front lawn in a lawn chair listening to his Walkman. And the mailman comes up and is like, yes, so how's retirement treating you? Wonderful. This is great. This is excellent. I love it. And so the the mailman's like, yeah, don't strain yourself. Here you go. So Amos reads the letter. It's addressed to him as sheriff. So mind you, he's only not been sheriff for maybe 24 hours, at most 36. So when he's like, oh, this must have been written before I retired. It's like, how long has Harry Pierce been prepared to take over? 
you know? So I'm like, the letter doesn't need to be that old. You haven't been sheriff for like a day and a half. So <laughs> that was just weird that it's a letter. So a letter takes a few days to get to you. So why are you surprised that it's addressed to you as sheriff? Anyway, he takes the letter down to the sheriff's office and tells Harry about it. And Harry's like, okay, another crank letter. Let me add it to the pile. And there's a large number of them in the basket. And Amos is like, what's going on? And Harry's like, I I don't even know. The next scene, we're on the dock and there's an IRS agent talking to Nils telling him that the IRS is going to do an audit of his business because they received an anonymous letter. And that is how sometimes they initiate audits because they get anonymous letters. And so Nils is like, how is that sufficient that some random anonymous person says these things and then you're going to come harassing me? If you don't get off this dock, I'm going to beat the butt of the United States. And he is big enough to do it because that IRS agent was like, uh, 23 skidoo, I'm out of here. <laughs> and he quickly walks away. Now that doesn't mean that he's not going to audit his business anyway, but, um, he's not going to do this face to face. So then a little bit further down the dock, we see Jessica walking in up to Larry Burns and finds out that neither one of them received a letter, but those who did, they're really like disrupting, you know, Cabot Cove. It's really changing the atmosphere because people are really upset about these letters. And Jessica is bring, has brought her toaster to be repaired by Larry Burns. And he's like, come on, Miss Fletcher, like this, like, are we really doing this? And she's like, I know, I know, but it has sentimental value. Now, it's a toaster, for one. Two, if it has sentimental value, I I don't understand. But okay, let's say, like that toaster is probably not old enough to have been her mother's or something like that. But let's say that. Let's say it was the a wedding gift from her mother or from her favorite aunt or something like, or Frank's mother. Let's say that's what that was. It was a wedding gift from a very close or very loved relative. So that's why it has sentimental value. It's a token from her marriage to Frank, right? Okay, I get that. But why are you using it? Like, you don't have to use it. Now, listen, my grandmother had an iron, right? And it was not an electric iron. It was the one that you had to like heat up for real and then use it to straighten clothes. You know what I mean? So like put it on the fire cause, or the stove, you know, depending on how old it was. But she didn't use that. She used a regular iron, okay, that you can plug into the wall because that iron was an antique and she had it out as um, home decor as opposed to actually using it. So Jessica, just have it in your kitchen because that's where a toaster should be, but don't actually use it. Why are you using it? (laughs) If it has sentimental value, don't use it 
just display it. Now, Jessica, you're too smart to have not figured that out. You really are too smart to not have figured that out. Especially if you got to keep bringing this broken down toaster in. (laughs) Anyway, so as she's talking to Larry, Adam comes in and walking into the dock, right? Walking onto the dock, I should say. And he's like, Larry Burns, I'm going to kill you. And Larry's like, oh, he's drunk again. He comes up. He blames Larry for Beverly's death. If you had fixed that TV, she wouldn't be dead. And he refers to her as my Beverly. So it's like, okay, yeah. So they were in a relationship. He loved her, whatever. Maybe he was the person who found her. And they just didn't talk to him at the time because he was distraught or he went and he got drunk. Maybe he did find her, which would be extra traumatizing to be absolutely honest, right? So he punches Larry. At this point, Nils comes over and is like, Adam, calm down, because Jessica's trying to break it up. (laughs) But as drunk, quote unquote drunk as Adam is, when Jessica's like, stop it, leave him alone, Adam turns to her and is like, Mrs. Fletcher, stay out of this. So he's not that drunk. Okay, he knows what he's doing. He had enough to enough sense to be respectful to Jessica and be like, ma'am, Mrs. Fletcher, I'm gonna need you to stay out of this. He killed my Beverly, all right? I got business to handle here. <laughs> so Nils, who is a mountain of a man, comes over and is like, Adam, come get off of that boy and you need to cool down. And so Adam is still trying to get at Larry. So Nils picks him up by the scruff of his neck, like basically the back of his shirt, kind of probably grabbed a little bit of neck skin, and his the back of his pants, and straight up drunk tossed him into the bay. Okay, just straight into the water. <laughs> and he immediately sobered up, even though I don't think he was that drunk because he had enough sense you know, to actually punch Larry, like make a connection. He was far. He pulled his fist all the way back. He was not that close to Larry when he punched him and he connected that punch. He was walking straight. Like maybe he's a professional alcoholic that he can be, his blood alcohol content may be high, but he has enough of his faculties to be able to fight, apparently, He also had enough faculties to be able to swim to the ladder to climb out of the water and go on about his way. (laughs) Because Nils, you ain't about to fight Nils, that's for sure. Like I said, he's a mountain of a man. Leave him be. (laughs) It ain't worth it, Adam. And Adam knew it wasn't worth it. So the next scene, we're at Elvira's house and she is arguing with Friedrich Hoffman. And she's like, I want you out of my house. And Friedrich is like, do you forget that we have a lease? And she's like, do you forget your manners? Now, Elvira, ma'am, ma'am, a lease is a written contract. Just because he's rude does not mean you can kick him out of the house. Now, if he's not paying his rent, yes, you can evict him. There's a process. But because you got whatever letter 
Well, actually, no, she didn't get a letter. She didn't get a letter. So I don't know what set her off about Friedrich Hoffman. All of a sudden, while all this stuff is going on, that something, you know, set her off that she's like, get out of my house. But ma'am, you can't do that. You have a lease. You have a legal binding contract. You can't just kick this man out for being rude. Now, if he did something criminal, yes, then basically you can make an argument that he evicted himself. I don't feel safe. I had to call the sheriff. But you can't go to the sheriff talking about he he's yelled at me. He yelled at me because you started with him. Like He responded. That's not illegal, ma'am. That's not illegal. Anyway, so she, the next scene, we're in the sheriff's office because that's where she's headed. But we get there first and Adam is drying off. (laughs) Okay. I honestly, I don't even think that was the same outfit he went into the water with, but I, I wasn't playing, I wasn't paying close enough attention, but I'm like, I, I don't know. Y'all, when y'all watch it again, see if he was wearing the same thing he was when he went into the water or if they gave him clean, dry clothes and he was just drying his hair, which, you know, for most people takes a long time to dry. And so Adam was telling the sheriff that, which is now Harry Pierce, um, that Beverly had paid off his boat, that they were really in love and... You know, he, this just, it's terrible because they, they were really going someplace. And so I believe Seth is there. And so Seth and Harry are talking and Adam says something else. And Harry's like, Adam, this isn't a hotel. Get yourself back there and sober up. Harry, if this is not a hotel, how you telling this man who is in custody, right, to go back into the cells and close himself in there <laughs> to sober up. Sir, that's crazy. <laughs> no, it's not a hotel. However, although this is the sheriff's office with jail cells back there, I'm going to need you on your own to walk back there and lock yourself up. Okay? Do that. Okay, sir? Thank you. <laughs> He's terrible at this. So at this point, so Elvira walks in and says, I I could have been killed. And they're like, what are you talking about? And she's like, that hairy foreigner who I rent my downstairs to. Like, um, offensive? Much? A lot. Yes, ma'am. And so they're like, calm down, calm down. She sees the letters and she's like, what are those? And... Harry says, well, someone's been sending these letters all over town and, you know, it's really causing a problem. And she's like, there's so many of them, but, but I only sent one. And so Seth is like, L, what, like, what, what are you talking about? Who did you send it to? And she's like, I can't say, I, I promised a friend. There's something wrong. There's something very wrong here. And she leaves. And so Harry and Seth are standing there like, what was that about? The next scene, we're at Jessica's house. Amos comes in and he bought 
a Red Sox bomber at Fenway when he went to see a game the other day. He's like, it was fantastic. You should really come and see a game with me. And I'm happy for him. You know, he's enjoying his retirement. You know, what? this is like day three or four. Living his best life. Yes, that's what you do. That's how you enjoy retirement, right? So he asked Jessica what she's doing. And she says, well, I'm trying to figure out how you kill someone in a locked bathroom, right? So the bathroom was locked. How did they get into the locked bathroom? How did they know she was dead, right? Because the door was not kicked in. The door was not removed from the hinges. It was opened as if it was unlocked. So how did they get into the locked bathroom? How did they know that she was dead? Now, assuming that Adam came over to her house because perhaps they had a date or something, even though this seems like it was the same day, let's say Adam went over there to speak with her, hang out with her, whatever, and she didn't she wasn't downstairs. He goes upstairs. The bathroom door is locked. He's knocking, knocking, knocking. He doesn't get a response. He then calls the police. Okay, I can understand that. That's how the police got to the house. But how did they get into the bathroom without breaking the door down? Did they come in through the window? Was the window open? Because it didn't seem like she would be in a, a warm bubble bath and have the window open. Whatever month this is, people had coats on outside. So, yeah, I'm still confused how they got in that bathroom. But anyway, so Amos is like, oh, Beverly Gareth. Yeah, no, Mrs. Fletcher, like that was an accident. That cord was frayed really badly. And Jessica's like, well, listen, Larry swears that he fixed her TV. And when he did, that the cord was not frayed. And Amos was like, I saw the the cord, Mrs. Fletcher, and it was it was bad. Okay, it was definitely frayed and it was bad. So Jessica's like, that means it had to be tampered with after Larry fixed the TV. And so Jessica gets a call and it's Harry and he needs some help. So Jessica's like, hey, you know, do you want your old badge back? Have you been considering that? And Amos is like, my peacekeeping days are behind me. Wait, are you serious? So you're just going to be out here as an anarchist? <laughs> you're just going to be causing trouble in Cabot Cove because your peacekeeping days are over? <laughs> I know that's not what it means, but hey, let's have some fun. But he says, you know what? But I, Harry is a friend. You know, if he needs help, I can help him out. Like, I have nothing else to do. So I, I, I'll help. I'll go with you. So now at the sheriff's office, we have Amos, Harry, and Jessica. And Jessica is like, okay, well, maybe the envelopes, you know, will help us. And Harry says, oh, Mrs. Fletcher, I really messed up there. I threw the envelopes out. Which I'm like, why would you do that? But okay. And he said all of the postmarks were from Cabot Cove. So she's like, okay, that means that it's definitely someone from here. And so one of the letters was talking about Willis Carmody and how he was the one who stole the mayor's car at last year's um, at last year's Founders Day picnic. 
And Jessica was like, that's not true. Willis was right back here in the in this jail cell. And Amos was like, you're right. He was being picked up on a warrant. So he was sitting in here trying to, waiting for the U.S. Marshals to come and pick him up. And so Harry was like, see, okay, so they're all just crank letters. They're all just lies and made up. Amos was like, his letter, which was addressed to him as sheriff, said that the old Coast Guard lighthouse was purposely set on fire. Ask yourself who would benefit from that. And so he was like, the only person would be Beverly Gareth, but we spoke with her and she had an airtight alibi. So they then moved on. The next scene, we're at Jessica's house and she's talking to Michael. They're at dinner and she's kind of like, um, not there. She's like, oh, I'm a terrible hostess. And he's like, well, what are you thinking? Like, maybe we can talk through this. And she mentions that Dr. Hazlitt told her that Elvira said something strange at the sheriff's office and that um, Elvira had been Wendell Gareth's personal secretary. So she's like, you know what, after dinner, how about we take a little walk? So Michael agrees. So while they're walking, they go to Elvira's house and right outside in the tree right in front, they stop and Jessica sees that Elvira is hanging there, right? All we see as the audience is her pink fluffy slippers and her socks. Um, and I'm like, wow, that that's sad. Like, that's sad. Um, now, she was super rude to Friedrich Kaufman, but this is beyond just beyond and so Jessica's like oh Elvira Elvira and so they call the police the sheriff is downstairs Jessica goes upstairs to Elvira's portion of the house and she finds a typed suicide note that says I wrote all the letters um, because now you can gossip about me all you want something to that effect then she hears someone coming up the stairs. She goes and she steps back and away, like in the kitchen area. And Friedrich Hoffman comes in. He walks directly to the window and is like, oh my God, she did it. What have you done? Something to that effect. And Jessica steps out <laughs> and is like, oh, Mr. Hoffman, it seems like you've lost your accent. And he's like, huh, the accent sells pictures. Um, so yeah, uh, I can't believe that she did that. That's terrible. And he's like, so Jessica's like, what, you know, like what was going on before this? And Friedrich was like, I don't know. Like she had everything delivered. She never left the apartment except for her doctor's appointment. And it, it was just, you know, she was just stuck in here. And, you know, it, it was not, she wasn't a pleasant person after a while. And Jessica's like, that's so strange. She used to always do her own shopping and cook and and all of this so that that's odd so the next scene we're at jessica's house seth confirmed that elvira had very bad arthritis and those pills that she was taking were for that and jessica's like so that makes sense because she had almost brand new cast iron pans 
but she was using the cheap lightweight stuff for every day. And it's probably because she could not lift or hold those heavier pans. And Seth is like, well, right. But like, what does that have to do with anything? And Jessica was like, would, would she then have had the strength to tie a hangman's knot? And Seth is like, that's a good question. But you know, I have a question too. Why would she go all the way to Newberry to doctor whoever when she had a perfectly good doctor right here? And Jessica's like, I don't, I don't know. Well, we, we find out soon enough. And it's a, it's a reasonable explanation when we find out. But Seth is clearly salty about that, which is like, I, I understand. I understand. So the next scene, Jessica is outside the library about to get on her bike and the condo three come up. And George says, I hear that you've been asking some pretty sharp questions. And Jessica's like, yeah, I'm not too thrilled about these condos popping up like toadstools on this beautiful headland. And I'm like, right. And so they're like, well, you know, the planning committee approved this. Like, it's all above board. So, you know, what's your problem? And it's like, yeah, I can still have a problem with this because I think it was shady how this happened. The next scene, Jessica is visiting Edna and she's like, I'm so sorry. I should have known better. Like, um, Charlie's only interested in bowling and fishing. And, you know, when we first got married, we were like, he was like an animal. But then 10 years ago, oops his battery went dead and it's been pretty peaceful ever since. I'm like, man, you ain't have to out your husband like that. You could just be like, I'm sorry. I should have known better. He only interested in bowling and fishing. So, you know, he ain't got time or interest to do anything else. So, <laughs> cause I'm like, ma'am, just cause he didn't have energy for you. Doesn't mean that he didn't have energy for someone else, but okay. Okay. We're not going to make that leap in the Murder, She Wrote universe. Okay, we're not going to do that. Okay, we're not going to do that. So we find out from Edna that Alvira went to the doctor in Newberry because she didn't want her daughter to find out and send her to an assisted living home, which makes perfect sense. But I don't think that Seth would have said anything, right? But we also don't know if people in town, someone who may have been waiting in Seth's waiting room overheard something or when she went to pick up her prescription, somebody saw it and word got back to her daughter in Boston. I can understand because it's a small town and people may know or her daughter may still have contacts within Cabot Cove to find out, oh, she's always going to the doctor as opposed to her mom is going out for a day, right? Like she's getting out of town for a day. So she must be in good health if she is regularly going out of town for the day. You know what I mean? So it looks better, Elvira, to be taking the bus out of town. So her daughter thinks, oh, okay, well, if she's well enough to do that, then she's fine living on her own, as opposed to her 
getting her groceries delivered, staying in the apartment all the time, and frequently going to Seth's office or having Seth come to her apartment, well, her house, right? But she lives in the apartment upstairs. So yeah, I can understand because word would definitely get back to her daughter. So it's definitely understandable. And we also find out that Elvira never worked for Beverly, but they were very close, like mother and daughter. She would trust her with her life. And Jessica said, or a letter. So now we know that Beverly is the one who wrote the letter and gave it to Elvira, who then mailed it to Sheriff Tupper. So the next scene, we're on the dock and Harry is coming there to arrest Larry Burns for the murder of Elvira. He said that Larry and Elvira was seen arguing on her front lawn that day. And Larry was like, she yells at everybody. She didn't like the way I fixed her lamp. Okay, so that that's really what you're going with for arresting me for murdering her. She's nasty to everybody. Okay. <laughs> she is just very mean. And I'm like, maybe it's because of the arthritis and she feels that she's now trapped. She can't do the things that she normally would. She can't get out. She doesn't have the freedom that she used to because of the arthritis. So yeah, I can imagine being extra mean to people because you're in pain um, or because you are unable to live the life that you want to live. So it's understandable why she yells at everyone. It does not make it right, but it makes it understandable. So in the next scene, we're at Jessica's house and Jessica and Michael are talking. He's telling her about the progress he's made and showing her the photos that he's taken. And Jessica's like, Michael, I, I need you to help me. Do you, you want to help me investigate Beverly Garris' murder? And he's like, yeah, definitely. I can, I can do this. I'm an investigator. I'm a real investigative reporter. I can get the information you need. And so she asks Michael to go to Bart Nelson's restaurant because the condo three meet there every night and engage them in conversation. And I need you to hold them there for at least two hours. So he's like, whatever you need, I'm on it. The next scene, we're at Bart Nelson's restaurant. So Bart and George are at a table talking. And Michael comes up and it's like, I would really like to speak to you guys about, you know, um, real estate in that, real estate in Cabot Cove and how it's changing the landscape, et cetera, et cetera. And when I tell you they paid him dust, they paid him dust. And at this point, Lila comes up and she's like, oh, don't be rude. Where's your Yankee hospitality, guys? Come over here and sit down and let's talk, Michael. I'm like, yo, Lila is, Lila is hot in the pants, okay? <laughs> she see her uh, a nice young thing and she's like, mm, how about we go over here and have some drinks, okay? And we'll find out in a few minutes what she is looking for in this connection with Michael, okay? <laughs> she has her mind set already. So the next scene, 
we are at Beverly Garrett's house. Jessica is there looking around. She finds wood shavings on the floor and looks up and there's a hole in the ceiling. And it directly looks into the bathroom. She then hears somebody enter the house because she's in the basement. She's in the basement. And she hears someone enter the house and she goes and she turns off the light and hides. Then she hears someone in the bathroom. She looks up through this hole in the floor and it is Amos and he's looking at the frayed cord. Now, why is the TV still plugged in? Please answer me that. This is a good like week later. Okay, this is four to five days after Beverly's death. Why? Now, it was an accident, so there's not really a crime scene situation, right? But why is the TV still plugged in with the frayed cord? That is outrageous. (laughs) It's like, what? What? Anyway, so Jessica has a clear view of Amos looking at the frayed cord, the wall, the plug in there, and part of the TV. So Jessica's like, Amos! <laughs> and he's like, who's that? Who said that? Where are you? And Jessica's like, it's me, Jessica. I'm downstairs. So he looks at the floor and he sees the hole and he goes downstairs. Now, I don't understand how Beverly missed the fact that there is this big behind hole in her floor right in front of the TV because it had to have been uncovered for the murderer to see her and know when to flip the switch back on, right? So how did she miss that? Okay, we we have to move on with the plot. So that's why she missed it. Okay, yeah. When Amos comes down, Jessica's like, so what are you doing here? And he's like, I can ask you the same question. She's like, I'm investigating. And Amos is like, well, I was walking by and I saw the lights on. So I figured I'd come in here and take a look. I'm like, yo, they need to be locking doors. How are you not locking this lady's door? Like there is crime in Cabot Cove. Okay. Why are you not locking people's front doors? That that people on the street, now it happened to just be Amos, but it could have been anybody just walk in there and ransack the house. That's irresponsible. Anyway, so Jessica's like, come over here. Look at this. See these wood shavings? And he's like, yeah, okay. That's random that there's a pile of them there, but okay. And she's like, look up there. And so he looks into the the hole where he had looked down and saw Jessica. So then Jessica lays out how Beverly was murdered. So the killer frayed the cord, right? Then made the hole in the floor and came down here. As he or she, right, was waiting downstairs right by the um, fuse box, right? How? Okay. Why is the fuse box right under the bathroom? Because if there's a flood, your whole house electricity is centered there. Okay. So I feel like that's dangerous, but okay. We're, it helps the plot move along. So anyway, so the person waited for her to get into the bathtub, turned off 
the fuse to that outlet. When she got up, dripping wet, went over. It, like anybody else, you turn the TV off and on to see if that's it. And when that didn't work, you go and you check the plug to make sure that it's securely in the socket. Once the killer saw her touching the plug, he then, or she, right, then flipped the fuse back on, sending the electricity up and electrocuting her. Now, my only thing is, well, I have several things, but for now, when she went to see if the plug was secure, right, and she saw that it was frayed, why would you touch it? You're wet. You are soaking wet. Why would you touch that cord? For one, but two, once you saw it was frayed, it is clearly split and frayed. I would be like, oh no, oh no, Larry's about to give me a whole hundred dollars for this. He done messed up the the plug and the cord. Now he done messed up the cord. Oh, is he messing up things on the TV so that I have to bring it back to him? Oh no, we're gonna have a conversation. And I would have went ahead, dried off, got dressed. And went right down to the dock and been like, Larry, what's the deal with this? What is the deal with this? But no, she didn't do that. She saw how jacked up and janky that cord looked. And she touched it. She touched it. Period. Even if she wasn't soaking wet. Who does that? Now, at first, I was like, well, if he turned off, he or she, the murderer, turned off the electricity... Why didn't any of the other lights go off? But what I'm thinking is one of two things. Either one, since it was daytime, she did not have the bathroom light on because there wasn't a need for that. Or two, the bathroom light was on a separate fuse from where the TV was plugged in. So there may have been stuff on the other side of the bathroom that went out when he or she, the murderer, turned off the fuse. So... That because that's what I was thinking. I'm like, wouldn't the bathroom light have gone off? And if the electricity went off in the bathroom, then you would know it wasn't just the TV. So I'm guessing either A, the bathroom light was not on because it was daytime and there was enough sunlight in there that she didn't need it, or B, that the TV was plugged into a socket that was on a separate fuse from the bathroom light. So as they're talking they hear someone else come into the house because you know what? The door is still not locked. And she's like, Amos, do you have your gun? And he's like, no, I turned it in. (laughs) The gun was supplied by Cabot Cove. He couldn't just keep the gun. Although I'm like, well, he was retiring. You couldn't give him the gun, let him keep it. And then just get a new one for Harry. Okay. All right. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Okay. (laughs) So they go and hide right behind some boxes in this gigantic basement. Now this basement is, looks like a good two floors. Like this is like 20 foot ceilings in the basement. How big is this whole house? Like the bathroom looked like a regular bathroom, right? But this basement is gigantic. Okay. (laughs) Not necessarily space. It's a nice size basement, you know, width and length, but height, That is like a 20-foot ceiling. 
It is crazy high for a basement. Anyway, just, just an observation. So it turns out it's Adam and he comes downstairs. Now, I don't know if he had a key or if the door was just unlocked because Seth surely didn't have a key and Jessica surely didn't have a key and they just got access to this house. So, but I'm wondering, did Adam have a key and he's the person who found Beverly or maybe she doesn't lock her doors and he was just able to walk in um, at any time whenever it, he felt like it. So they had, Jessica had unscrewed the light bulb. And so when Adam went to turn the light switch, nothing happened. The light should have been in the on position. He didn't find that that was strange, but okay. So he flicks the, the switch a few times and nothing happens. He then proceeds down the stairs further into the basement. He goes to this trunk. He opens it up. He's looking in it. Jessica then throws the light bulb away from them. Adam hears it crash and turns and was like, who's there? Amos then goes with the shovel that he's picked up and taps Adam on the back of the head. He falls out. He gets knocked out, but he's not dead. Now, if this... <laughs> any other time a person is hit in the back of the head in the Murder, She Wrote universe, okay? They are dead, like instantly dead. But Adam was just knocked out, okay? <laughs> I, I love that whatever works for the story, that's what they go with. So the next scene, we're at, back at the sheriff's office and Adam is like, listen, I was just looking for papers for the trawler, showing that it was paid off because Beverly paid it off. And even if we never find paperwork, she paid that boat off for me, you know, as a, a gift. And Harry's like, you know, stealing from the dead is still stealing. He's like, I wasn't stealing anything. I was trying to get papers that belong to me. You know, we were in a relationship. I had stuff there. So as they're talking, Deputy Willard comes in with Friedrich Hoffman and says he had his van filled up with all his stuff. It looks like he was leaving town. And Friedrich was like, is there a law that I have to live in this stinking town? I'm like, sir, calm down though. Uh, <laughs> so they, Harry throws them both back into the holding cells along with Adam. And he says, I have the killer under arrest. It's just now we have to figure out which one it is. And so Jessica's like, Harry, I think you need to call in the state police. And he gets really offended. He's like, are you saying I can't do the job? Well, you know what? You know what? If you think you could do a better job, you do it. And he takes off his back. I don't even want this stinking job. And he leaves. Like Jessica and Amos look at each other like, okay. <laughs> like, you're a real estate agent. You have no police training. Of course, I don't think you can do this job. You should know you can't do this job on your own. You should ask the state police to come in here. We find out in a few minutes why he doesn't want to do that. But like, why are you getting so upset about this? Like, you have no police training. It's not personal. It's just factual. 
Anyway, after he throws his hissy fit, we're back at Jessica's house and it's Jessica, Seth, and Amos. And so Jessica's like, all right, so Beverly gave the letter to Elvira and she mailed it to someone, but we don't know who it is. So what must have happened is Beverly warned the killer that she was going to send a letter and he did not know who was going to send it or who she was sending it to. So what the killer had to do was send all these letters. Now he didn't know what he or she, he or she, right? Did not know what the letter looked like or what was, what, or what the accusations in that letter would be. So that's why some had letters cut out from a magazine. Some were typed, some were handwritten. Um, so that's why the letters all look so different because he or she, I'll call him the murderer. The murderer did not know what the original letter was that they were trying to cover up with all of these fake letters. But the killer knew that they were in trouble from the person who sent the real letter because the murderer did not know if the person who sent it had read it, right? And knew the information in that letter in addition to it being sent to whoever it was being sent to and that person knowing what was in the letter. Jessica says it was probably a letter that was sent a while ago while you were still Sheriff Amos as if that was that, as if he wasn't sheriff like a week ago. Okay, sorry. And so Amos says, actually, I did get a letter. And, you know, um, there was something strange about it. And Seth is like, spit it out. He's like, well, I was wondering when I saw it, who would be sending me a letter from Newberry? And Jessica's like, that's it, Amos. Elvira sent the letter while she was visiting her doctor in Newberry. Elvira had the real letter. Amos was like, yeah, okay, but the letter just said that the lighthouse was purposely set on fire and who would gain from that. And Beverly Gareth is the person who would gain from it. And she had an airtight alibi. So... Jessica's like, well, the condo three definitely benefited from it. And at this point, Jessica remembers Michael. She was like, oh my God, Michael. So she calls Bart Nelson's restaurant. And the next scene, we're at the restaurant. (laughs) Michael is like, just drunk, right? Just three sheets to the wind, just talking nonsense. And Lila is like, two centimeters from on top of him. She is just like all over him. And she can clearly hold her liquor. He apparently cannot. And so the waiter comes up and says, oh, um, Mr. Digby, there's a call for you. So he excuses himself and goes. And as soon as he's out of eye shot, he straightens up and he's like, Mrs. Fletcher? She's like, yes, Michael, I'm so sorry. Like, well, I, I forgot. <laughs> How's it going? And Michael says, for the past three hours. Now, he was supposed to hold them for two. Three hours. I've consumed a fifth of 
Jack Daniels and a pound of butter. It was a trick my father taught me to stay sober. Okay, I don't think that's how it works, but do you, boo. I didn't get a lot of information, but what I did get was this, that foreign investors paid a fortune for the land long before the lighthouse burned down. Also, that the condo three were out of town at the time of the fire at the lighthouse. And that some local realtor was getting a huge finder's fee for setting this up. So then Michael asked, well, can I come home now? And Jessica says, no, not yet. Let Lila try to pry some information from you and don't make it too hard. He's like, okay. So when he returns, Lila is straight to the point. What motel are you staying at? And Michael's like, oh, well, I'm staying with Jessica Fletcher. She's been nice enough to let me stay there. And she's like, oh, really? Well, what does she have that I don't have? Michael says, nothing. But, you know, she's a very insightful lady. She says that someone torched the lighthouse and that she can prove it, that she's going to Beverly Garrett's house to get the information she needs. So Lila's like, oh, really? Bilgewater. <laughs> He's like, no, no. She says that she can prove it. So... Instead of Lila going around the other side of the bench, right, the other side of the table, she's like, excuse me, powder room. And like basically like hip checks Michael out of the booth <laughs> so that she can get out. She then goes to the payphone, dials a number, and she's like, I've got some bad news for you, buddy. And the next scene, we're at Beverly Gareth's house. Jessica is in the basement, and then we see Harry Pierce come down the stairs, like, Jessica? And she's like, Harry, is that you? It's like, yeah, I was just passing by, and I saw the light on, so I, I thought I'd come in to see what was going on. Now, he is in his sheriff's uniform, mind you, and she's like, I thought you quit earlier today. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was just having a, a difficult time. But no, it's fine. And so Jessica gets to the point and she's like, yeah, you said you weren't much of a lawman, but you also aren't much of a killer either. And Harry's like, Jessica, what are you talking about? You know me. I sold you your house. Fr Frank and I were lodge brothers. And she's like, do you think that this makes me feel any better? I was hoping it wasn't you. Killing Beverly in a locked bathroom, that was smart. But leaving the wood shavings for anyone to find on the floor, that was sloppy, Harry. And Elvira hanging herself, she had arthritis so bad that there's no way she could have tied a hangman's knot. And so Jessica also points out the fact that Larry said that he fixed the TV and there was nothing wrong with the cord. And so Harry says, well, then the killer, you know, frayed the cord. And Jessica says, Harry, you said that you saw that cord frayed a month ago. You told Amos that on the, the day of the murder. And so at this point, Harry's like, 
Beverly was stupid and greedy. I torched the lighthouse. I found the buyers. I greased the way for, to get the variants from the committee. And she paid me all right. But she didn't tell me that she recorded all of our conversations and tried to blackmail me out of my money. So she had to die. And so Harry then pulls out his gun. He was like, you know, I've always liked Elvira and I've always liked you, but, you know, things have gotten way out of control. And Jessica says, well, talking about recording, she turns around and turns off the recorder that she's had going this entire time. And Deputy Sheriff Willard comes in with his gun drawn in a proper shooter stance, I might add, with Seth and Amos behind him. Amos in street clothes and Seth there as well. And Jessica was like, I was hoping it wasn't you, Harry. I I get no pleasure in doing this. So he's clearly arrested. And this is why we don't see Harry Pierce again. So the final scene is Michael leaving. Seth and Jessica are sending him off. And he says, no, I'm not going straight back to New York. I'm going to Fall River to visit my aunt to get some rest. To which Seth is like, isn't that where Lizzie Borden was from when she killed her parents? And so they they say the the rhyme, right? And so (laughs) Michael's like, you know what? I think I am going to go back to New York. I I think it's safer. (laughs) He's like, by the way, Mrs. Fletcher, the notes that I took for the book on Cabot Cove, you'll find them out back in the trash. I'd like to remember this place the way it was when I first came. And they wave their goodbyes and Michael leaves in a taxi. So like I said, this was a really great episode. I liked the locked door murder situation. There were some questionable things like how obvious that frayed cord was, yet she still touched it. Why she didn't see that giant hole in the floor. How they got into her locked bathroom without breaking the door down. Who called the police in the first place to realize that she was unresponsive or dead in said locked bathroom. That same day, like it wasn't like days later or anything crazy like that. What happened with the condo deal, right? Because Harry had set it up, but he wasn't needed for it to actually go past this stage. So I don't understand what happened with it. That's never followed up. It's never brought back up. And we never see the condo three again. What happened to Friedrich Hoffman? Did Adam finally find those papers for his trawler showing it was paid off and that it was fully his? Did Larry Burns finally fix Jessica's toaster? Will Jessica continue to use this antique toaster for that has sentimental value? And we know that Amos does go back to being sheriff for a little while longer. So there's that. But all in all... Even with those loose ends, right? (laughs) Unsolved mysteries. This was a great episode. And next week, another one of my faves, Murder Digs Deep. So 
If you cannot wait until then, you can go right over to Patreon and become a Patreon member of the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon, where there is so much amazing additional content. And I will be putting up tomorrow a travel vlog, right? So you'll get to see the pictures from my week in New England as well as my story time of my week there. So I'll be putting that up on Memorial Day, just a little treat situation. And that will be exclusively on Patreon with all of the other additional content. But otherwise, I will see you next Sunday at 5 p.m. for Murder Digs Deep. Until then, have an amazing week. Bye.